Hi everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Bina 007's Movie Reviews, trying to give you a flavour of what's out in the UK this week. The two big releases coming out on Friday the 1st of December are Wonder and The Man Who Invented Christmas. So Wonder is a PG-rated schmaltzy family drama starring Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson as the likeable parents of a little boy played by Jacob Tremblay, who was the little kid in room who really impressed. He plays a kid with facial disfigurements who is really struggling to fit in at her school. It's meant to be very treatly but very heartwarming and is rated PG and has a running time of 113 minutes. The other big release coming out this Christmas is called The Man Who Invented Christmas and it stars Dan Stevens of Downton Abbey fame as Charles Dickens who is struggling to write A Christmas Carol. It's meant to be a festive comedy, I haven't seen it, but it's got an all-star cast including Christopher Plummer, Jonathan Price, Simon Callow, the wonderful Miriam Margulies and Ian McNeese. So that sounds like a lot of fun and although again a little bit cheesy I may well check that out when I'm back. In terms of art house offerings, the big release this week is Happy End. It's a 15 rated 108 minute drama. Happy End is directed by Michael Haneker, iconic, amazing director. And the movie stars the amazing Isabelle Huppert, Matthew Kasowitz, uh, Franz Rogowski, and also Toby Jones, our very own. And it sounds amazing, right? It's this French drama. It's meant to be a biting political satire about a very dysfunctional but super rich family. They live in Calais. They're very self-involved and they run a construction company that stands to make a lot of money from a development which sits next to the infamous Calais camp for refugees who are trying to make it to England. So this sounds amazing and I should have been able to give you a review because I actually saw this film quote unquote at the BFI London Film Festival this year but I have to admit it was not an evening screening but both myself and the person I saw it with fell asleep during various parts of this film and eventually about 45 minutes in during which I don't think either of us had been awake at the same time we decided to just walk out. So this is not a review maybe it's an exceptional film but it just seemed sort of very odd (laughs) and hard to stick with. What can I tell you about it? It's meant to be a sharp satire on racial and financial inequality There's a rich family, um, there's a feckless grandson who may or may not inherit the company, there's a granddaughter whose mum just attempted suicide, there's a little baby who is shot on an iPhone, and there are little text messages on the phone which are meant to indicate her train of thought, which I guess could have been hilariously funny but was just bizarre and fell flat. I don't know if there's any real coherence to the whole thing, but like I said, I can't possibly review it because I didn't see it through the whole thing. But anyway, that's out this week. So what am I going to talk about this week? I'm going to review four films that were released last week, actually, but are still in cinemas and also available on streaming services. And I think this is important because they're all arthouse films that might be a little harder to find in cinemas. But also it's that time of year when it's starting to get cold and people are very busy with Christmas and the ability to watch it in your own house, I think, is important. So I'm going to start off by talking about Trophy, then Beach Rats, then Manifesto and finish with the absolutely charming Lost in Paris. But before we get into Trophy, here's a little clip from the trailer of the film. 
People are confused how hunting and conservation go together. You can just pick whatever animal you want from the menu that they offer you, see the price, and book the kill. Big cats at 21 and 22, sold! And that money will all go back into conservation. How much for that sucker? 35, 35,000. I have the recipe to save the rhino from extinction. Sell the horns, keep the rhinos alive. On the black market, the retail value of this horn would be a quarter million dollars. The operation, it's painless. It'll take two years before he goes through the same procedure again. All I need is for it to be legal. Give me one animal that's gone extinct while farmers were breeding it and making money out of it. There's not one. So Trophy is an absolutely meticulously edited, beautifully shot, and most of all, brilliantly provocative documentary about the ethics of big game hunting and its interaction with rare species conservation. So as you can imagine, a lot of it takes place in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana and Namibia. It's directed by Christina Clusio and Schultz Schwartz, who both worked on Aida's Secrets. And they're on the record as saying that when they began making this stock, it was pretty much to indict the big game hunting industry. Um, they wanted to focus on this big convention that takes place in Las Vegas, where you have all the big sort of hunting companies that operate in Africa um, advertising their wares to the hunters of America who will pay phenomenal amounts of money to go to Africa and not hunt in the sort of conventional sense that we might think of it, where you patiently track a wild animal and then finally kill it, but where you sort of order up animals in advance, like you pick precisely the type of buffalo or leopard or, God forbid, rhino that you want to kill. And a specific breeder in Africa will then breed that animal for you, release it into the wild so that you can not track it and not waste your time, but specifically at point blank range, shoot it and then take some crass selfie if you're self-kissing your girlfriend while doing so. And of course, that sort of depiction of the... Um, the hunter that seems so far away from any kind of concept of sportsmanship or marksmanship is there to rile people like me. So the sort of the earnest liberal viewer who thinks, my God, these people are appalling. And the documentarians don't help um, that side of the argument's cause by featuring a hunter who's also heavily influenced by the Bible and believes that all animals are put on this earth to be done with whatever he believes is right. And <laughs> he also doesn't believe in evolution. So you just think, oh, my goodness, could you find anyone more of a right wing sort of hunting caricature on the face of the planet? But in fairness to the documentarians, they also show how dogmatic and caricature the views on the other side can be by focusing on activists that are protesting such hunting. And they come across as, as being earnest, of course, but having very naive views. And this idea that one can just sort of magically save the lions by issuing a moratorium on certain types of hunting or sale of certain products, when actually that just forces it into the illegal poaching market in countries that are very both impoverished, unequal and corrupt. So there's a complete lack of understanding of the complexities of the policies and ability to execute policy in Africa. And I think this documentary does well to show the kind of naive dogmatism on both sides of the argument in America. What's really fascinating, however, is that Trophy poses a kind of compromise. And it says, what if one would actually legalise some forms of hunting and some forms of sale of animal products, such as rhino horns? 
would that potentially actually save more animal lives than it lost? In other words, by allowing the commercial killing of a certain amount of rare species, would you actually save them for posterity? And it uses a couple of people to make this argument. One of them is one of the biggest breeders of rhinos in Africa, who you can tell he's really passionate about saving these animals and he's sunk all of his money into it. But then again, he does stand to make an absolute fortune from selling rhino horn if the rules are changed. The character that I found far more convincing is a really admirable guy who I think works in Zimbabwe and he runs an anti-poaching team and again has invested considerable time and money in monitoring, tracking poachers and trying to prevent them from killing animals and reporting them to the police when they do. Um, he, however, subsidises this activity by um, leading commercial hunts and he is incredibly articulate. I mean, he's not a policymaker or a lobbyist. But he's just someone who who works the land and works with animals, is deeply passionate about them and is very articulate and self-aware about the irony of killing a few to save the many and comes down to a kind of um, compromise utilitarianism in the end. I thought this was a tremendous documentary. It's so balanced. It tries to give a full range of views and let the viewer make up their minds. It really challenged my preconceived notions and I think genuinely has changed my mind on these issues which is really something. I think normally documentaries often they just preach to the converted in a quite heavy-handed way, whereas Trophy is genuinely quite nuanced and admirable in that respect. It's also beautifully shot. Some of the landscape photography of Africa is just stunning and really makes you want to go on safari. That said, rightfully so, this film does not pull its punches when it shows animals being shot and the impact of that. I think it's meant to affect you. It's meant to make you feel the impact of what is going on. But for those of you who are squeamish and don't want to see animals in distress, then I would recommend that you do not watch this film. Nonetheless, I still hope you do because I think it's just so well argued, so well researched, beautifully put together and truly provocative. So Trophy has a running time of 105 minutes. It's rated 15 for strong language. The film played um, Sundance and South by Southwest 2017. It opened earlier in the year in the USA, so you should be able to get it there on streaming services already. And it opened in the UK and Ireland a week ago. Right, with that, let's move on to a very different animal, a fiction film called Beach Rats, which is on release. And here's a little clip from the film where the protagonist, Frank, is trying to explain to his girlfriend why their first date went so very wrong. Here we go. I'm sorry about the other night. I was fucked up. I got a lot going on right now, and I, uh, I didn't mean to insult you. Hey, I'm trying to apologize. Okay. I got some family stuff going on right now. <laughs> My father has his cancer, and he's been suffering for a long time. I've been a little more fucked up than usual. I wanted to say sorry. Okay? Okay. You, uh, you wanna come smoke with my friends and me? I think you're pretty. Very pretty. Intimidatingly pretty. I have to go to work. 
Okay, so that was Beach Rats. It's a beautifully observed, brave, brave film about a teenage boy who's struggling to come to terms with his homosexuality. It's written and directed by an award-winning sophomore director called Eliza Hitman, and it really benefits from a very sort of delicate palette, beautifully shot on 16mm, which makes the whole film feel kind of nostalgic, watered down. This lovely photography from the very celebrated French cinematographer Hélène Louvain, who shot Pina. The film stars British actor Harris Dickinson as the protagonist, Frankie, and... It's amazing because he totally disappears into the Brooklyn accent and into the physicality of this very explicit and challenging role. He plays a 19-year-old, so he's just got out of high school. He doesn't seem to have a job. He doesn't have a car. He barely has an aim in life. But he does come from quite challenging circumstances. He lives in the part of Brooklyn that isn't glamorous and hipster. Um, His father's dying um, on heavy medication that Frankie's then nicking to take with his friends. And his mum, who's played by Kate Hodge, starts off the film as a very exhausted caregiver who can barely bring herself to notice the fact that her son's getting up to all sorts of mischief and and is drifting horribly. But by the end of the film, does start to focus her energy on him, and I think in a good way. It's It's actually a very good performance from her. So what does Frankie have? He he hangs around with a bunch of his friends from high school who are basically like classic bros, jocks, very sort of heteronormative. They hang out at the beach, they smoke, they get high, they kind of talk about picking up girls and they're up to no good. And against this backdrop, Frankie is attempting a tentative relationship with Simone, who is beautifully cast, um, played by Madeleine Weinstein. He, he kind of tries to take her on a date, but... You can tell that he's really not into her. And they also kind of, they're they're just running in parallel lives. She wants to be taken to the city. He just wants to hang around at home. But home is this kind of derelict, formerly glamorous, but just washed out beach town that she is not interested in. And what I like about the script is there's a lot of ambiguity about when she dumps him, like how much did she really know about the fact that he's really gay? And maybe more than he did, in fact. So while Frankie's trying to sort of kick off this very unsuccessful relationship with a woman, he's also exploring the world of gay chat rooms and very quickly moves from online flirtation to hooking up with guys at night. And what I love about this film is that it doesn't pretend that there's any kind of emotion involved. And the way in which the director handles the sex scenes is very honest, um, very blunt, but not never exploitative. So there's none of this kind of squeamishness and sort of fade to blackness that you sometimes have from straight directors when they just don't want to show gay sex. But at the same time, there's none of the fetishization of a very handsome young man. So I just think that the director here just treads the line so brilliantly well and carefully. And you get this very moving picture of a guy who's just trying to figure out what he likes and what he wants. The film, as it progresses, gets a little bit darker as he takes the relationships further, as his friends may or may not know and start to potentially exploit some of these guys. Um, I won't say much more because I think that sort of ruins the ending of the film. Although I would say, once you've seen it, the one thing that did annoy me about this film, and was surprising given that I believe it went through a Sundance script writing lab, so it just sort of feels like it stops. And actually, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because this film you know, thematically is very similar to Moonlight 
insofar as it tells the tale of a boy struggling with his sexuality, but living in sort of fairly impoverished and marginal circumstances. And both films, I felt, sort of came to an end rather than really um, emphatically stopping. So I found that to be my only real criticism. But other than that, I think Beach Rats is a really beautiful film gives you an insight to a kind of life that you may not have seen and is well worth supporting and seeing if you can. So if you want to check out Beach Rats, it's on in UK cinemas and on streaming services. It was out earlier this year in the USA. Um, It has a running time of 96 minutes and is rated 15 for strong sex, nudity, drug misuse and language. And yes, I would say this is, you know, fairly strongly depicted gay sex so if you're squeamish about that then maybe you should avoid it right with that let's turn to kate blanchett's manifesto here's a brief clip from the trailer nothing is original okay so you can steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration and fuels your imagination okay In my glorious isolation, I am illuminated by the marvellous incandescence of my electrically charged nerves. Okay, so that was part of Manifesto. This is a bizarre film because it started off as an art installation of simultaneously broadcast short films, all starring Kate Blanchett, sort of embodying different manifestos of art movements um, and philosophers through history. And they've now been all sort of stitched together, expanded and turned into a feature film by director Julian Roosevelt. But it still feels incredibly experimental and disjointed. And, you know, it is what it is. It's a philosophical tract brought to life by Kate Blanchett. So to sort of illustrate how this looks, the film starts off with her dressed as a tramp, rambling through a sort of rotten concrete industrial landscape. And she's doing so while quotes from philosophy are playing overhead. And then she simultaneously sort of rants about certain things. And then it transitions to Kate as an equities trader with a thick Long Island accent on a trading floor and a different set of philosophy as being... um, enunciated over the top of that scene and then it moves again so she will play a a primary school teacher or a punk rocker or a you know a homemaker or a very rich ceo or a person giving a funeral oration but each time she's basically just giving you bits of philosophy and what's interesting is is that when i started watching this i thought that each of these 13 characters and 13 philosophical movements would be her just um with one philosopher so with the homeless man one, I actually thought it was Marx, but it wasn't. That's just the, the prologue, apparently. So within that scene, apparently she was doing situationism, which I didn't realise, and was using quotes from Fontana, John Reed, um, Rodchenko and Debord. And actually, it's the John Reed that threw me off. Um, and then when she's doing the trader stuff, she's doing futurism, which I kind of figured out. And we're getting Marinetti, Severine, Apollinaire and Vertov. So... Each chunk is is a mashup, like a best of philosophical highlights of whatever that is. And I just wonder if the director, Julian Roosevelt, might have helped out the viewer by just giving a few more pointers, like just telling us which philosophy we were looking at. Because otherwise, I mean, I studied philosophy at university back in the day, but I was, you know, I just went with it. But I was pretty lost as to who was saying what at what time. 
So we moved through all our different Kates, Punk Kate, Newsreader Kate, Puppeteer Kate, it feels a bit like Barbies. And I have to say, I was really struggling with this film. I mean, what I came out of it with, what I what I got from it, was an intense admiration from Kate Blanchett's ability to do accents and to transform herself into different characters. But I kind of knew that, right? Because I admire her in normal feature films like Carol and Elizabeth and all the great roles that she's played. Did I get anything out of the philosophy of it? No. Some of the excerpts were well-known to me and iconic. Some kind of do resonate with contemporary politics. But a lot of the times it was just a kind of very superficial little abstract quote and didn't really give me anything. And I, I just sort of felt that the film did not coalesce to me, that I might have enjoyed it more as an art installation, seeing it in a gallery setting and just sort of wandering, meandering around at my own pace. And I also felt that because I love Kate Blanchett so much, I sort of had forgiven her what is basically a gross indulgence that if anyone else had made this film, I would have just seen it as basically pretentious wank. So there is that. So I'm not going to recommend Manifesto unless you're super into the philosophy of art, in which case you've probably already seen it. But anyway, if you want to check it out, it has a running time of 95 minutes. It was released in UK cinemas last week and it's rated 15 for strong language. Okay, let's move on to my final movie review for the week. The absolutely delightful, whimsical, adorable Lost in Paris. And here's a little clip from the trailer, which I have to say was hard to to get because it's a film that's sort of both a little bit in English, a little bit in French, but is mostly just physical, beautiful comedy set to a lovely, jaunty soundtrack. So it's not a dialogue-driven movie. But anyway, I hope this gives you a flavour of what it is about. It's from my Aunt Martha. Dear Fiona, help. After 48 years living in Paris, they want me to move to an old people's home. Ridiculous. I'm only 88. Vous n'avez pas vu Martha par hasard? Oui, l'ai vu. Il y a 27 ans. On a fait l'amour dans une barque. <laughs> okay, so that's a little clip from Lost in Paris. It's by the writing directing duo Dominique Abel and Fiona Gordon. So he's Belgian, she's Australian, they work in French and English, and they make these absolutely hilarious full of emotional heart films that should be better known in England and the USA. Um, They're sort of zany physical comedies, but they have a real social conscience. And they really remind me a lot of the best of the original types of movies. So films by people like Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton and Jacques Tati. You've got to go with it. You've got to love physical comedy to get into these. But if you do, you'll appreciate just how good Fiona and Dominique are. I mean, they seem to have these seemingly elastic bodies. They're in total control of every little comic turn. And the way they develop the comedy from these these sort of simple physical sight gags is just so brilliant and so wonderful. So in this movie, Lost in Paris, Fiona plays a very geeky, kind of nerdy Canadian librarian. And she gets a letter from her aunt in Paris, played by the amazing Emmanuel Riva, who recently won plaudits for Amour. And 
um, her aunt is writing to her to complain that she's being forced into an old age home at the age of 88. And the problem is, is that when Fiona goes to Paris to rescue her aunt, her aunt's gone missing and is presumed dead. And Fiona even attends her funeral. But along her travels, Fiona also meets a charming homeless man played by Dominique Abel and actually does then hook up with the aunt. And it's a series of, of brilliant mishaps and coincidences and just absolute charm. There's one of the funniest, like, sort of faux love scenes in this film. And I love that one of the rivals for, for Fiona's affections is a genuine Canadian Mountie who's also visiting Paris. It sounds very silly. It is very silly. But underneath all that, it has so much art, heart and indeed art, because technically this sort of physical comedy is really hard to pull off. I also love that in the character of Emmanuel Riva in her final role before she sadly passed away earlier this year, you have a very touching and humane look what it is to be an old age pensioner who's shunted off into an old age home and is not expected to have feelings of love and longing and a desire for adventure. And I think that is a very moving and beautiful message at the heart of this movie is just not to write off people who are older than us. So I would absolutely strongly recommend you to see Lost in Paris. I think it's just the most delightful scene. And if you thought when you watched La La Land that the little scene where the two leaves are sort of like tapping their toes while sitting on a park bench and a little song and dance act is cute, that is nothing on the scene featuring Emmanuel Riva about halfway through this film. It's an absolute delight, an absolute joy, and actually I think suitable for all of the family, even though it's rated 12A, for very, very little, tiny amounts of strong language. And it also just has a running time of under 90 minutes, I think 83 minutes, so it's a short, lovely, funny watch. The film was released earlier last year, actually, at Telluride and played the Film Festival, London Film Festival. It's had quite a global release, so if you're listening from outside of the UK, you may well be able to find it already on rental services. It's currently on release in the UK and Ireland, in cinemas and on streaming services. So there you go. You've got Trophy, Beach Rats and Lost in Paris, which are all tremendous films that you can watch this week. Manifesto, which stars the amazing comp. Kate Blanchett and is more difficult but potentially still worth watching and I hope that tides you over until I'm back from Australia with an update of the films coming out on the week of December 8th. In the meantime whatever you watch at the cinema this weekend I hope you have a great time. Thank you for listening.